Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. G'day guys and welcome back to the Social Fishing Podcast. This is episode 33 and I want to thank you very much for downloading and listening to another one of our episodes because the more support, the more downloads we can get from you guys, the better because it can help us grow this podcast. Now, as I said, this is episode 33 and I was lucky enough to sit down and talk with Brendan Spicer. Now, Brendan is based in the Snowy Mountains and this is another trout episode. It's been a while since we've done one on trout and for all you guys out there, who are trout enthusiasts, love chasing trout, here is another awesome episode for you. Now, Brendan loves his trout fishing. He really knows his stuff and we go right in depth on a whole range of techniques in this episode. Now, if you chase trout in a different location to the Snowy Mountains, you will still get something out of this. But this one is all about trout fishing and it's based with where Brendan fishes, which is in the Snowy Mountains. Now, the Snowies are an incredible place to target trout. There's just so many awesome opportunities and if you've never been there before i highly recommend heading up there giving it a crack and this is the perfect episode to give you a platform to start with if you are to head up there now brendan he has trout fished for a long time really loves it um he's probably trout fished for the last 10 to 8 years as we get in and talk about in the episode he's a down-to-earth bloke real top fella and he just it was a great chat with him um he really knows his stuff and he's so happy to share i've messaged brendan back a couple of years ago myself to get advice off him for fishing up there on some of the lakes um and he was happy to help out didn't even know who i was um and that's basically what he's done here he's just opened himself up and he's happy to share with you guys what he knows. Now, in the episode, we talk about... First, we touch on the fires that went through the area. Brendan gives me his thoughts and opinions on what he's seen up there from the fires, um, how much of an impact it had. And then we also talk about you know the, the positives of it coming back and how it's looking now. Uh, then we get into talking about seasons in the Snowy Mountains and each season, how you would break apart each season and fish the lakes and the rivers up there based on the seasons. Then Brendan talks about we talk about some tips for fishing in lakes just general tips and tips for fishing in rivers and streams and then we also go into depth on some of those major waterways and systems up there including eucombine and jindabine um, there's some really awesome opportunities to be had up there chasing trout and that's what brendan explains in this episode and he goes right in depth and i absolutely love it so i want to thank him for you know sitting down and doing this episode and i hope you guys really do enjoy it now before we jump in guys Make sure you like, if you enjoy the podcast, like, leave a comment on the app that you that you listen to it on. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, put a comment in. If you listen to it on a different app, if you listen to it on our website, just send us a message. You can also submit listener questions you would have seen in the last episode or if you had to listen to the last episode, I highly do recommend it because uh, we go into right at quite a bit of depth, Talos and I, um, we, we answered listener questions. So, if you have a question for us, we've already had a few more come through already, so keep sending them through and we will answer your questions. I love sitting down and chatting and that conversation with Tao just went anywhere um, and we shared heaps of cool stuff that we didn't even plan to share. 
So, make sure you submit a listener question through to us. To do that, you do that on your social fishing account on the social fishing website. So, just jump on, create a free account, sign up for the Freshwater Mini Series. You get to watch that series for free and you can also submit listener questions. Now, guys... If you've been listening to the podcast, if you followed us, you have known that we have launched the Social Fishing Membership. Now, if you want to support what we do, if you want to support this podcast, you want to learn more about chasing freshwater fish, if you want more content, make sure you go and jump on the Social Fishing site and have a look at the membership. Just have a look at the page and see if it's something you'd be interested in and inside that is the SF maps. Now, I've been working on these SF maps and they will guide you to finding fish on a new system and a new lake. If you've never been to a new system, it'll help you with access points, the camping, the boat ramps, where you can launch and different key areas on the lake and basically, instead of going blind to a new lake, you will go in with a lot of confidence plus there will be reports as well. Now, at the minute with COVID going on, uh, reports we have uh, put on hold for all the members out there who are listening. We have a handful of members already and I want to thank you guys. You will have known that the reports are put on hold until the whole virus has passed because a lot of us aren't fishing and if you're in Victoria, you're not actually allowed to fish. So, they're on hold but we've got heaps more awesome content. We've got a live Q&A video coming up next week. Uh, so, if you want questions and answers for us in the live Q&A video, that will be exciting. Then there's all sorts of different other things going on there like the SF Magazine where we've got article and video content going up every week uh, and lately at the minute, I am working on the blaring map. So, if you had seen our post on Facebook or obviously now listening to this, if you are a member, stay tuned in the next couple of weeks, we will have the blaring map up. I am currently working on that now. Anyway, guys, that's a little bit of an update. If you're not a member, jump on the social fishing site, have a look at the membership and you'll see what amazing content we have been creating there. And the point of it is just to help create as much content as we can for you guys. And if you support us, we can continue to do things like this podcast and create articles and videos and these guides and all the content we create in the membership and everywhere. So guys, with your support, we can get this bigger and I can share more content with you to help you guys catch more fish. Anyway, guys, without further ado, that is enough from me. Let's dive into this episode where we talk with the one and only Brendan Spicer about snowy mountains trout. G'day guys and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm joined by Brendan Spicer, mate. Thank you very much for joining me. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be exciting. Um, I've been trying to tee it up with you for some time because a lot of the podcasts we've had on um, are a lot of COD stuff, so I'm super keen for this because we're talking about your favourite fish, uh, which is the trout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love fishing for the trout. I've been fishing for them for, I don't know, seven or eight years seriously now, so... Yeah, yeah. challenging and frustrating fish, but that's probably why I like them so much. Yeah, so so what I want to do is for everyone listening, this is going to be about we're going to talk about snowy mountains trout because you're based you're based in Cooma, aren't you? So like the heart of the snowies. Yeah, yeah, our gateway to the snowies. Um, I lived in Kinderbine for six seven years, but yeah, now I'm in Cooma, which is pretty central to all the trout fishing around here. Yeah, nice, nice. And so what I want to talk about in this podcast is a whole heap about the snowies and the trout there and, and all that. But before we jump in, I just want to talk about your background, mate. Where where did you grow up? How did you get into fishing? Did you, because you've just said you've been seriously chasing trout for the last seven or eight years. Have you always fished? Did you fish as a young kid or tell us a story? Oh, yeah, mate. Yeah, definitely. I've been fishing for as long as I can remember. Um, even before, I can remember, dad's still got a picture of... Uh, me and my brother hanging up in his room. Of, I, I was so young, I don't even remember uh, um, going out. <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, good dad's a, a mad team for sure. So where where did it all start? Did it start in the freshwater? Did you grow up in, in the inland or did you start up in the coast? No, I grew up close to the coast. Uh, a little uh, country town called Coorumbong. It's sort of about 30 minutes south of Newcastle and about an hour north of Sydney. Yeah. Um, pretty close to Lake Macquarie. So I did a lot of my, my fishing yeah, in Lake Macquarie and the, and the estuaries and, and stuff surrounding it. Yeah, right. So you grew up with what? Flatties, brim? Yeah, boys. yeah. All, all the bread and butter species, you know, flathead, brim. Um, a lot of the little creeks around there have got bass and stuff like that in them as well. So. Yeah. And then when did you make the move to um, the fresh and really, how did you fall into trout fishing? Is it because of basically where you had to move to and then and then it grew from there? Well, I've been fishing for, for trout on family holidays um, my whole life. Like some, That's some of my earliest memories, fishing the Turon River and Oberon Dam and Stuff like that when I was a youngster with with, with the family on holidays and uh, yeah, it just came down here as a as a lifestyle sort of change um, about eight years ago now and just uh, yeah, lived with my brother for a while and because I love fishing and yep. uh, when I moved down here I didn't have a job for a month or two so I was fishing <laughs> basically <laughs> basically every single day and uh, yeah, just sort of fell in love with, with fishing and that's basically. All you've got around here, anyway, in the snowies, unless you want to travel a little further abroad. So. Yeah, it's all trout, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so with trout grow, what's your, what drives you to trout? I know now you're based in the snowies, but even before you travelled to chase them, would what what drives you to them? And would they be one of your favourite fish, or do you have another species that you prefer to chase? No, yeah, like trout have grown on me. Um, like I said, that for that first month. Um, I was I was down here and fishing for them every day. I literally did not catch a fish that entire month. And wow! I, I, I was sort of remembering back to my holidays, uh, you know, as a youngster. Going, yeah, I didn't. I don't remember ever finding it that hard. Um, yeah. But it, they definitely they're they're a frustrating and challenging fish at times. Sometimes they can be, you know, when they're on the chew, they're they're, they're quite easy. But you know, most of the time, um, I find them quite challenging. You know, so that's probably probably the pull towards you know why why I like them. So much because it's it's not easy, you know. That every trip, you're not guaranteed a, a fish. So yeah, and it's kind of similar. I think that's a broad sort of term among all freshwater fish, don't you reckon? They're all sort of challenging compared to your bread and butter coastal species. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I find them a lot more sort of challenging and fun to catch. Um, like just recently, just because the, the trout fishing has been a little sort of tough around here, I've just ventured down the coast a little bit and. Just got into the brim and flathead and stuff like that, and just remembered how how easy it was. And go down there, I'll come <laughs> home with you know ten or eleven fish, sort of in the bag, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's chalk and cheese uh, yeah, compared to the trout. Totally different, totally different. Yeah, for mm. sure. Um, and then so the last eight years, you've really dedicated your time to the fish in the snowies and you've obviously learnt a lot and did you learn it all through trial and error and spending heaps of time on the water or did you learn a, a, a portion of it from others and because you worked in the tackle store as well for the last few years yeah 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 i did yeah a, a bit of both mate like most of it just trial and error because you know basically outside of work i don't really do anything else i just go fishing <laughs> yeah um yeah and then um for the last oh, it's only been a recent uh, thing that I've moved back to Canberra, but before then I was yeah, working in the tackle shops in, in a Canberra and, and tackle world and complete angler in there for about three years. So yeah, just working in the shop and talking to people um, who come in who are, are keen trout fishers, the guys who work there. Uh, yeah, you, you get to learn a lot, you know, sort of 
broadens your, your, your knowledge sort of base and, and gives you ideas and then you know, I'd go out in the field and, and try them and yeah, and, and you know, some things work and other things don't. Yeah, true. And and it's amazing how much a different day changes, eh? Like you could have a totally different weather pattern on the same river and the fishing's totally different, eh? Or seasons are different or just sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not and it's all about experience trying to work them out and it differs from every single waterway, wouldn't you say? No, oh, exactly. Exactly. You know, like sometimes I can go out to the same spot, you know, say on Lake Yukonbeen, for example, three days in a row, um, and have a ripping session um, one day and go back and not even catch a fish the next day. So, uh, yeah, it does change a lot. And I think a lot of that's got to do with um, just the, the weather and, and probably uh, barometric pressure as well. Yeah, cool. Mate, let's touch on, um, I want to talk snowy mountains as we are, but tell me about the bushfires because um, you yourself probably would be the man to talk to because I'm in the foothills of the snowies, so mm. I know what's happened, but I haven't seen it for myself. Um, for those of you who don't know, well, you would know, Australia has some terrible bushfires and one of them in particular started Dunn's Road, which is nowhere near the Snowies where you are, and it managed to carve its way through to Tumbarumba, Paddy's River, jump Talbingo and Blowering, and then made its way up through Cabramurra, and there was another one that started near Adamitabi, they ended up joining up, I think. Um, what's the, in terms of the fish, I know the landscape's copped it, but the fish mm. in the landscape, what, just tell us in your own words, what, what, what was the whole experience like for you, and what's the system, how's it all looking? Oh, mate, well, yeah, we had a pretty sort of crazy month, you know, at the beginning of the year here. Um, the bushfires didn't get too close to Kuma or a lot of the places that I fish, you know, like um, Yukonbeen. Like, it got, it sort of touched on the top end of Yukonbeen, yeah. um, up around Providence Portal and places like that. Um, Jindabyne was basically sort of unaffected. It was more the higher, like you said, up around Cabramurra, that you've got some of the higher um, little lakes up there, like um, the Tuma reservoirs and tumour and, and things like that but I haven't actually been up there to have a bit of a sticky um, at how it's all affected that. Yeah. Uh, the, one, the one place I have had a bit of a look at was the upper Yukon River um, and I was up there after you know, all the fires had passed through and after we'd had a bit of rain and uh, it basically just turned the river to chocolate mud so sad. yeah it, it, it did look sad um, like I walked down into a bit of the gorge country there um, and it, it just burnt the whole place out like it was amazing how quickly it had come back though like the tussock grass and everything really was all start, starting to sprout yeah yeah so like the, it, the, the countryside even though it was totally utterly burnt all the trees and shrubs and stuff um the grasses were starting to come back already and stuff like that so hopefully you know it, it won't be too long and, and it'll regenerate but um yeah like a lot of that sort of western side of the the mountains um I sort of haven't really had much of a look around yet to see the impacts of it, but from what I've seen on social media, uh, yeah, it was pretty devastating. Yeah, so so even the subalpine, because I know alpine isn't meant to be burnt because it, like there was that fire that went through Kyandra area, you know, when you drive that main road, you can see all the burnt timber from, what was that, 2006 or that was going back a while. But 2003, I think, yeah, three. before I got down here, they had a yeah, major, major bushfire through here. Yeah, so but the, the the ecosystem really doesn't come back real well. So do you reckon that is that the subalpine area that's actually growing back with the grass tussocks and that? Do you think that was just because maybe the fire through that area was quite a cool burn rather than a super hot burn? Because you know there's a difference between like mm. extreme heat which just kills the trees compared to like yeah. that passes through quickly. Because a lot of that 
Because is the you know where you cross the Yukon Bean? Is that whole valley scorched? Uh, well, basically, the... from like when I'm driving out of out of Coomera on the Snowmount Highway, you get to Adaminibi, and a little bit through there, you start to see um, where the edge of the fire has sort of got to, and then basically the whole way to Tumut, um is burnt, and you can see the the varying levels of intensity. Yeah. Um, because straight away, the yeah, you know, the, obviously the cooler um, areas of fire. You see the, the trees are starting to sprout, the grass is coming back, but like the really hot burns, yep. it's it's just tree trunks and there's nothing coming back. So. Yeah. And yeah. I guess the country that's packed tighter together, like around Talbingo, would have been super hot, I imagine, because that's quite thick country through there. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I was looking over the other side of uh, Blowering Dam and um, Talbingo and stuff like that, you could see where it must have been like, just really, really intense fire, and uh, there's not much regrowth yet. But that was a couple of months ago, so yeah. I, I'm not sure what it's like now. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, it's uh, it's starting to come back, Cause especially around Taubinga. Like it's such a beautiful, picturesque sort of area. You know, it'd, it'd be a shame if it sort of was damaged irreparably. So. Yeah, and hopefully it does come back because Talbingo is sort of that warmer sort of country. It's not that freezing cold. So hopefully with that warmer weather over, you know, spring and autumn and summer and that, it does come back with a bit of rain. But yeah, fingers crossed. So with the Yukon bean, if it's turned to chocolate mud, right, and I know things like over our side of the hill, um, Manus Creek and a lot of creeks um, through the Tumbarumba area, they were just flowing with ash and sludge. What do you think that does to the trout? Do you reckon it kills them or do you reckon they, they get it? out and swim downstream and you can be do you reckon they swim back to the lake do you reckon they go upstream like what's your thoughts i know you're probably not too sure but what do you reckon they do do you reckon they all just died or well when when i was there um it was directly after after the rain so it was probably at its worst um and i just did not see fish activity at all you know no rises uh, no follows nothing like that um no dead and- fish no, 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 I didn't see any dead fish. And, you know, I would have thought maybe I'd see them sort of, you know, belly up in the backwaters and the back eddies and stuff like that, but I didn't see that. So whether they're, they're just scraping by, you know, sitting on the bottom um, doing what they can to survive or whether they move back down to the lake, um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I'm sure some of the resident fish probably wouldn't have made it and, and would have died and maybe they've just got washed down into the, into the lake, but... Um, I didn't see any reports on social media of you know guys sort of fishing the, the lakes and saying oh you know we're seeing lots of dead fish or anything like that. So you know, trout can have this reputation of being a bit of a fragile fish, and to, to an extent they are. But you know, like, I think like any fish species, they're, they're pretty hardy and resilient. So yeah, um, I think a, a lot of them probably would have moved down to sort of slightly clearer uh, and water where it wasn't so so thick with silt and ash. Yeah, so you reckon the snow mountains will bounce back and it'll be a, a, a trophy place like it has been and, you know, is regarded as for the last, you know, forever? Like, you reckon within a couple of seasons it'll be back to it's great? Oh, I hope so, mate. Probably a lot of that's got to do with um, just the, the weather cycles and patterns, you know. Like, um, we've had a drought here for, you know, X amount of years now, which is definitely... I've definitely noticed the difference. It's, it's taking a toll, you know, from when I first yep. moved, moved here. It just progressively, each year, it's getting tougher and tougher and uh, you're just not seeing the the quality, especially in Yukon, the quality of fish that, you know, I was catching a couple of years ago even. But I think that has got a lot to do with, yeah, the weather and also um, the lake levels. Like, it's, it's dropped from when I first started fishing it seriously. From, it was up around sort of 50, 60% and it's dropped down into... You know, 30s and 20s, um, and 
it just it just hasn't sort of fished as well. The fish is still there. Yeah. Um, I'm just I'm just not catching the, the quality of fish that you know I was a, a couple of years back. Yeah, which is a shame. And and even I noticed that when we went and filmed a video on the Yukonbean not last year, the year before uh, the spawn run, and there's just no rain. Like there was no fish moving up. Um, I think they moved up come June, July once it really rained. But early on, we can fish as they're running up. There's just nothing. Like it was that empty. The poor river just was sad looking. And I had a mate with me, and he said last year it was like up here. It was like eight, eight hundred, like higher. Like it was mm. so eighty centimeters higher, nearly a meter higher, um, with flow, which is sad. But let's move on from you know the sad part about the fires and everything. And can you give us an overview? And for people listening who've never fished the snowies or someone who's keen to fish it more, can you give us a summary and an overview of the snowies, some of the top lakes that are there, um, and some of the key sort of rivers that people can fish in the snowies? Because it's yeah, a really man. nice place, eh? Hey? Oh. Yeah, absolutely beautiful place up here, and there's so much to do other than fishing. But uh, yeah, on the fishing side of things, um, well, you've got the the three major sort of lakes. You know, you got uh, Yukonbean, Jindabyne, and Tantangara. Tantangara, uh, and then they're, well, they're the most well known ones. You know, probably the most written about and documented and, and stuff like that um, over the years. And then you've got sort of the major rivers like the Yukonbean and, and the Threadbow River. Uh, you've got parts of the Snowy River. Um, that, that, that are quite good to fish, and the, and the Murrumbidgee as well, Upper Murrumbidgee. Yep. Um, they're sort of like the bigger, more well-known uh, um, rivers. Uh, but there's, there's a ton of little, little lakes and other little streams and, and rivers like that. You know, there's literally a, a list that's it's quite long. It's just a, a matter of sort of dropping in at the local tackle shop and, and talking to the guys there or just doing a bit of research online, you know, Google Maps and, and stuff like that. There's a... Now, because there's, there's the Kosciuszko National Park and, and just a bunch of areas you can you can sort of go and camp and, and just enjoy the outdoors, um, yeah, the possibilities up here, there's, there's lots of them. And the most of the creeks up there have fish. Like, could you confidently drive up, find a small little a little stream that's flowing and have a cast and, you know, eight times out of ten you'd get a fish, like, or sea oh, fish? Yeah, 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 100%. Um, anything sort of sub-alpine and alpine, um, the lower down you get, and and you move sort of um, uh, east or towards Canberra and, and places like that, uh, probably all going to have fish. But if anything's connected to the Murrumbidgee down low, it's going to have uh, carp in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, most of your oh, every little um, small stream and, and river I've fished, you know, up high. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've all got all got fish in them. So basically, yeah. basically, if you were to go from Talbingo up through Adamita to Kuma, all the way to Threadbow and around, and up the top to Cabramurra, within that whole area, that's mm. the area you're talking about, eh? That's that's that whole area that's got pretty much trout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you've got these tiny little creeks like um, Gangang Creek and Alpine Creek, and, and they they flow into the just for example, uh, flow into the the Yukimoon River, and and they're tiny little creeks, and they're quite overgrown, so they're, they're pretty hard to access. But yeah, they've all got fishing. Yeah, that's so good. It's awesome yeah. because it's unlike anywhere else because you've got these national parks, so there's no farmland, um, and you've got all this awesome little water that you can explore. Um, so that's the snowies. Can you tell me? Can you break down the snow mountains in seasons? So if someone's to go visit in the summer. What would you be looking at doing? Um, would you be lake or river? And then we'll move on to autumn and the other two. So, yeah, can you start yeah. with summer? Yeah, mate. Um, summer, generally for the lakes, is probably probably the toughest time of year to, to, to fish for trout just because, um, well, for myself anyway, because I, 
I just fish from the bank basically. It's walk along. Like I have a kayak and, and, and fish from it occasionally, but um, yeah. But basically, just a bank basher. But you know, the edges sort of warm up um, a fair bit, and, and the trout sort of tend to hang out a little bit sort of wider in the, in the cooler water. They will come in uh, close to the edges, um, you know, at night time and, and, and the low light periods of the day, like uh, dusk and dawn. Yeah. That that would definitely be the the, the times to, to fish the lakes is the, the low light periods or uh, through the night. But generally in summer, um, I favour the, either the higher um, lakes, like the, the, the little reservoirs, like, um, say for example, Island Bend or Tuma Reservoir, um, just because, you know, the higher you go, the cooler the air, the cooler the water, um, it's just just a little easier to, to find and, and catch the fish. But yeah. um, I generally like the rivers and streams in summer, um, especially the higher ones, because they're, they're usually running fairly well and, and the water's cooler. And you know, the, and you're fishing less water. You know, you don't have this great big expansive lake in front of you to try and <laughs> find yeah. fish. Um, you, it, yeah, it's a, it's a lot easier to, to locate them. You can just you know target undercut uh, banks or um, sort of you know fast runs with the, the boulders and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, it's just and I'm just a big fan of the rivers anyway. I love walking the rivers. It's yeah, picturesque and. Good exercise and uh, yeah, and the fishing's usually pretty good. Yeah, and they and they're pretty active in 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 the rivers in summer. And and what would be what kind of lure would you use in the summertime? And obviously, you can also fish with fly. It's probably one of the better times to fish with fly. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm basically a, a lure fisherman. Uh, I have started sort of dabbling in the, in the fly a little bit. Um, but yeah, like dry fly in summer up here, um, especially like uh, the grasshoppers when you have a good patch of grasshoppers, it yep. can be phenomenal, you know, like I follow quite a few sort of of, of the local guides and, uh, and, and team fishermen and, and a lot of them are fly fishers and yeah, they, they do very well, but um, yeah, on, on the lure side of things for me, um, I, like, I like little um, creature sort of style lures, like whether it be, say for example, like a little uh, rebel frog or rebel... Um, Yabby sort of imitation lures, yep. those little shallow running floating lures. Um, they're really good for the small streams. Just your little um, standard sort of what everyone would think of when they're when they're thinking of trout lures. You know, like your Rapala little F5s and F7 style lures. You know, there's, there's so many out on the market these days. But just a small minnow sort of um, profile. Yep. I, I prefer the, the floating ones um, myself, just because generally a lot of the rivers are, are fairly sort of shallow. You know, so um, you can just crank your little your floating ones down. If you're, you're hitting the bottom too much, you sort of just pause your retrieve and let them float up over over the snags and stuff like that. And you generally don't lose as many with the, the floating style lures. So. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then, like you said earlier, the, what I want to touch on for people is those creature imitations, and that's mm. a summer thing because they're obviously feeding on grasshoppers and bugs and things. So you wouldn't use that creature imitation in the middle of winter, would you? Well. When, well, yeah. other than like subsurface um, and yabbies, yabby profiles in winter are very, very effective. But yeah. in, in the rivers and, and around the edges of the lakes and that, like, yeah, little things like the rebel creek hopper, which is like a grasshopper yep. imitation, um, they're quite good. I've actually started experimenting with them and um, sort of, because they're not a deep diving lure, but generally when you just slow, slow roll them, they're, they're beneath the surface, but um, you can sort of cast them to the head of runs and rivers and sort of just let them float down and just winding slowly to sort of keep a lot of that slack line out of the, that, yeah. 
out of the system and um, I've actually caught a few sort of come up and take them off the surface. So it's sort That's of like cool. dry fly fishing, you know, but with lures, yeah, it's pretty cool. That is cool. I've never even thought of that. That's a really mm. good idea. Yeah. And I can't say, and now that you say it, I definitely I can't see why it's any different. It's basically exactly the same as drifting a fly. So yeah, exactly. That's and, clever. Um, yeah, I've started experimenting um, with, because um, I, I tie my own lures up. It's just like a, a weighted fly, basically. But you just tie, tie them up on a jig head with a bit of fur and feather and stuff like that and make them look like a, um, a grasshopper or some sort of, you know, um, insect that would, that would fall on the surface. And I, you know, tie a bit of foam on, so... They're buoyant and started playing around with that, you know. Um, they and, work well? Yeah, yeah. I haven't caught anything yet. <laughs> but they <laughs> look good. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They look really good. No, I was out at Eucabine, you know, before the whole quarantine business started and um, had a fish come up right at my, foot, at my feet with a little grasshopper imitation I, I tied up myself. And just as I was lifting it out of the water, it came up and had a slash. Oh, if I just left it there, it probably would have uh, taken had it. it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. So then that's your summer. So for people visiting in summer, if you want to get into your fly, 100%, um, and then also you've got your rivers and your creeks and your streams, that's probably the go-to over the lakes unless you probably – in the lakes, you'd, you'd be best off if you had a boat downrigging, wouldn't you, and getting yeah. down into deeper water, I'd imagine. Yeah. 100%. Like I, I, don't, I don't troll at all because I, I don't have a boat, but uh, yeah, yep. everything, all the guys that I've ever talked to and uh, from what I see on social media and stuff, yeah, trolling's probably definitely the way to go. The, the fish usually hang out in, a, from what I've heard, you know, four to six metres of water. Um, yeah. Oh, well, it comes into where the thermoclines are and where the fish feel comfortable. If you've got a, a sounder, you can sound them up and adjust your, your downrigger to whatever level the fish are at. The trolling guys do quite well. Yeah, nice. Now, what I want to go back to is you said something about fishing the lakes in the dark. Um, mm. Is that lure fishing? How, how do you... Yeah. What's the process there? Because that's kind of a, an unknown sort of a thing. You know, once oh. the sun sets, you, you stop. So yeah. you actually cast lures in the dark. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I used to do that quite a lot when I um, had lived in Jindabyne, because, especially over summer, because I wouldn't even really bother going out in the middle of the day, unless I was fishing the rivers, but um, on the dams and lakes and that, yeah. Go out and um, do a bit of surveillance. Like I'd walk a, a stretch of bank, um, in the light, sort of get an idea of what the bottom structure is like because the water's quite clear. Yep. Um, and 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 then walk back over that section after after it got dark and using basically like a lot of floating lures um, because you know, anything that kind of sinks to the bottom, you're going to tend to lose a lot more lures. And then when you're trying to retie leaders and stuff like that in, in the dark, it's a bit of mucking around. So and um, when I'm when I'm walking the banks in the dark, I'm sort of targeting the edges anyway. Um, so I'm not sort of casting way out in the middle too much on because a lot of the fish will come in close to the edge. That's where a lot of the, the smaller bait fish are and and the, all the little creatures they want to eat. So I'm sort of targeting, I'm casting 45 degrees and less towards the bank, mm-hmm. and just bringing my little floating hard bodies back along the bank. And, you know, if I'm bumping into sticks and rocks and that, just sort of just pausing, and then starting starting with wind again. And, yeah, the fishing after dark um, can actually be. Quite good, quite good. Man. And you can, and they find those lures, no worries at all. They yeah. can feel them. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. A lot of it on the angler side of things is, is like I'm, I'm doing it by feel because you, you, you sort of lose a lot of your, your, your vision. Yeah, um, obviously. At night, and so that's where, like, um, like I use braided lines, um, where you know the sensitivity that you can feel everything that's going on. So if you get a little bit of weed or something on your, on your lure, you'll feel it. So you can 
pull it in straight away and uh, take it off and, re and recast. But yeah, the fish generally um, don't have any dramas finding finding oil. You might have a bit of ambient light, you know, especially if you're fishing around um, Jindabyne and there's street lights and stuff like that in, in places, or you know, yeah. moonlight and stuff like that. But I think a lot of it they just rely on their lateral line and feeling, you know, even just a little um, hard body minnow that doesn't have a great deal of vibration, um, that they can still feel it sort of working. It's good, eh? Yeah. They're good. They're a clever fish. They're just built to hunt, like same as yeah. cod. They can find stuff in the dark as well, but a lot of cod lures have a bigger thump. But yeah, tiny hard body like that that they can find, that's pretty cool. So yeah, yeah for anyone who's keen to give that a crack, that is well and truly worth it, that night stuff. Um, now, moving on to, so summer and now to say this time of year, obviously you can't refer to anything that's happened this season because we're not out mm. there fishing, but autumn, what's the go in autumn? Uh, it's that transition period. It, it, it can be a little hit and miss, you know. Um, generally, I, will look, I go fishing regardless. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter what the day is like. I'm out there fishing. Uh, but generally, if, you know, if, if you can pick your days, the, the cooler, overcast, you know, if it, days like, just like today, it's, it's cool, uh, it's overcast, there's a bit of uh, drizzle around, it's, it's just perfect, a little bit of wind. Um, it, it's great, but... Um, uh, a lot of your, again, your dawn and dusk sort of periods are definitely going to be better. Um, but, uh, yep. and, and you sort of move in to that time of year where um, it is starting to cool down. And even around now, um, if you start to get a, a decent amount of rain, you, you will start to get, um, especially the browns, starting to move to either the entrance, um, the river mouths, um, out, of, out of the lakes into the rivers to start their spawning sort of process. Um, yeah. Uh, so you will you will see that a little bit, uh, and even moving into the rivers, just depending on the seasons. Every season's different, you know. Like some some are cooler than others, and um, like this one, because yeah, we haven't been out fishing, we haven't heard a great deal. But you know, seasons passed. I'd be starting to look at sort of uh, yeah, around the, um, the the bottom end of rivers where they flow into into, into the lakes. And if you've yeah. got a boat boat or a kayak, um, and anything with any sort of electronics on it, like your standards and stuff like that, if you're just fishing around the river mouths, you can start to see them sort of stack up a little bit. That can be a little hard to sort of temper, but if you're, you're dropping little blades and stuff down to them and something a bit of vibration, a bit of flash um, in front of the nose, you might be able to annoy them enough to, yeah, to, to get a few strikes. Yep, and that's, you'd prefer, the, you'd pick the lakes over the rivers at this time of year, or is the, do uh, the rivers still fish well? Yeah, the rivers are yeah, generally fishing well, and because um, of the close season, like the rivers close, June long weekend through to October long weekend, and then you you've only got the lakes to fish. So yep. I do like to keep keeping the rivers and streams as much as I can for as long as I can, just because that that that's my favourite uh, favourite places to fish. So I'll, I'll fish them as much as I can um, before before they close, uh, because then in winter you've only got one option, which is the lakes. Yeah, right, okay. So they still fish well. And then obviously the Yukonbean and the Bidgee um, and they fish will run up the river um, out of Yukonbean, out of Tantangra. Um, yeah. And you, then the time to fish them is before it closes after some good rain. Um, and it's a lot of people, you know, they, it's called the spawn run and you could find yourself shoulder to shoulder with other anglers. And it used to be the way, hey, when there was massive rains, um, especially when there's good weather, your people would stack in there because the big fish swim up the rivers. Obviously, there's been a lot less people fishing it the last couple of years because there's just no rain and the fish just don't do it till later on. But you can usually get them sort of just running up just before sort of what through May is that sort of the time? Yeah, yeah. Well, just depending on the season, like 
they will sort of start in, in smaller numbers generally um, in, in April and stuff like that. But May is yeah, definitely definitely the, the best month to do that. And yeah, like you say, um, some places, especially the Yukabine, is quite renowned for it. You'd yeah, be standing shoulder to shoulder with, uh, <laughs> with with people in May, uh, especially after good rain because you, you get a lot of fish uh, moving up. But um, the, the, the numbers have, like you said, have dropped off a little the last few years just because um, of the drought and the, and the lower water levels and less fish um, and access has become um, a little bit more challenging around you can mean like you can't sort of drive right to the edge of the water like you used to um, and even that 400 500 meter sort of walk down to the, the river sort of put a, put a lot of people off so there's, there's less anglers there which uh, it's probably better for the fish yeah um, yeah and be- better for the people who are actually keen and, and, and want to do a bit of hiking yeah, so why'd they close it just to look after the national park and stop people yeah. driving over the land? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was people just driving everywhere. They couldn't chewing up the, the riverbanks and, and stuff like that, crossing in places they shouldn't. Um, sadly, yeah, it was basically people doing the wrong thing. So. Yeah, but yes, it's a shame that it has to come to that sometimes. Um, yeah. At least the, like the waterways aren't totally closed because sometimes things go that far where places get totally shut off because of people's stupidity but luckily mm. you can still fish those waters um so that's autumn now winter obviously from you said the june long weekend to the october long weekend the rivers are closed we leave them alone to spawn uh is winter any good for the lakes oh 100 mate i had the best that was my favorite time of year to, to fish for trout and a lot of people sort of don't generally uh, think of winter as you know like the best time to, to fish and you know most people who come to the mountains have got their minds and other things like skiing and that. But, yeah. Um, and you do have to deal with, you know, really cold weather sometimes and, and it can be quite challenging and taxing on, on your body to spend a day out there fishing when it's so cold and that. But it's 100% the best time to, best time to fish for them. So why do they just become more active? What, what, do the, what's, what happens in winter to the trout? They're obviously active and feeding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, in my experience, anyway, because um, uh, you are just, you have to fish the lakes because the rivers are closed. Um, it's, yeah, the water's cold. Um, the fish around the edges um, feeding some, like a lot of the brands have come back from, from spawning, so they're, they're looking to put on condition. Um, yeah, so they're hungry. Uh, everything's just conducive for them um, to be more active. You know, trout are a cold water fish. Um, yeah. They like the colder water. Uh, and, Generally, the the yabbies and stuff I think are a bit more sort of active in winter as well. Yeah, um, especially around the edges. Oh, some people say that they sort of get a bit quiet and hibernate, but you know, from my experience, I, I see a lot of activity around the edges, and and the fish are there. And like, I don't keep a lot of fish, but the, the ones I do do keep, and you cut them open, and they're just choppers full of yabbies. So, right. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's a fantastic time. So it's a yabby thing, and a, and a, and they're seeking. They, they love the cold water, but they're seeking out those pockets, those warmer pockets, which is probably where your yabbies are, which is shallow. So mm. winter time, you'd be fishing shallow, yeah. So bank walking's perfect for winter. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. And well, a lot of the because you've been so low at the moment, um, a lot of the places I'm fishing in, you can be like the bays. A large majority of them are, are really shallow anyway. Um, so yeah, it must be. I haven't taken the thermometer out to, to test water temps and stuff like that, but whatever it is, it's, it's, it's really conducive for them to be in there and active and, and feeding. So. Yeah, nice. And that goes for all three lakes, you would say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tantangra can be, just depending on the, on the snow and how much snow we've had over winter, can be a little hard to access. But Jindabyne in particular, it's, it's generally, 
especially around the edges, a, a deeper lake than, than Yukaman. You get a lot of really shallow, sort of muddy bays in, in Yukaman. But um, yeah, no, Jindabyne, well, all lakes, you know, everywhere you're walking around the edges, you, you can see evidence of, of, of yabbies that are sold, you know, carcasses on the, on the shore and stuff like that, like the water rats like getting into them and taking them up onto the bank and chewing on them. But you can see tails and claws and stuff like that around. So it's definitely a major, major uh, food source for them in winter. But, yeah. yeah. Nice. And then as winter ends, it rolls into spring. It, that kind of bite continues, doesn't it, through spring? And then what's your process through spring? So obviously the, the first half of spring is just still the lakes and you'd continue, and the fishing continues to be good. Um, and then what happens after opening? Do you, does, is the rivers worth fishing? Oh, yeah, 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 100%. Like, I almost instantly go back to the rivers just because, you know, I spent four months not fishing them, so <laughs> yeah. go through, through withdrawals uh, of fishing the rivers. But... Uh, Oh, the lakes are still great to fish that time of year as well. Um, spring, yeah, yeah, things are starting to hatch. You know, you've, you've, got, you've got the frogs starting to come out again. Um, you, you, your smaller fish um, are starting to become more active. Your, your weed beds in the lakes are, are starting to sort of flourish again you know, or start to grow a little more than they were over, over winter. Yeah. Um, it's spring, as an all-rounder, is, yeah, is, is right up there. It's second favourite to winter for me anyway. Yeah. yeah, so you've got, but the good thing about spring is you've got both rivers and, and the lakes, so it's probably one of the, if someone's going to come and visit the snowies, it's a good time to come, isn't it, spring? Oh, 100%, the weather's just beautiful. Better. You know, you've got, you've, yeah, you've got yeah, these awesome sort of just nice, comfortable days, like the, the nights and, and the mornings, that can be pretty chilly, but you know, generally speaking, you've got nice, just really comfortable days um, to be out there, out there walking around or in the boat or in the kayak. Um, and if you want to do a bit of um, fishing after dark, it's not bitterly cold. Like, yeah. It's bitterly cold, so it's a bit easier on the body. Well and truly. Well, that's a good wrap-up for the seasons, mate. So what I want to move on to now, um, a quick question for you. Sun, do you prefer some sunny? I know it depends on the season because it's, it's a tough question to ask, but do you prefer your overca- overcast rainy days or do you prefer your warm, bright, sunny days? Is, is that something you can answer or not really because it depends on... Yeah, um, I, I- I can. It'd be both, just depending on how you want to how you want to target them. Like, I'd prefer if I had to pick one, um, like the the cold, overcast, windy, yeah, yeah, raining to a point like the torrential downpour. It's obviously hard, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But those days usually um, because and I'll be targeting the the edges that the wind is blowing in on. It's, it stirs up the edges, you know, and you've got the creates these dirty, muddy sort of water lines and, and the fishing can be just phenomenal. Um, you can have fish climbing all over you, Lou. It doesn't really matter what you're using, you know, you're, just, you're chucking stuff out and you're, you're, you're cranking it back in and, uh, yeah, fish generally, because, well, on a calm, sunny, still day, you know, I guess the fish are more wary, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're one of their only predators is from above, you know, so if the, if the, if the water's not rippled and, and, and disturbed, then you know, they're more wary of, of, of that predation. Um, so when you've got disturbed water and slightly discoloured water uh, and, and the conditions are, you know, for the fishermen, they're pretty ordinary to be out in, um, but for the fish, uh, it, it's really it's good. You know, cause it's, it, 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 it's washing, uh, it's blowing any sort of um, insects that are on the surface to those edges, uh, it's, it's, it's churning up um, the yabby beds and, and, and washing them out of their holes and stuff like that. The, the fish will be cruising around on the edges or in that dirty water just looking for an easy feed and, and they're no, nowhere near as wary. So 
there. The fishing gets yeah. quite good. But on the other and hand, the, the, the really bright, sunny days, especially in places like Jindabyne, um, is really good for your polaroiding. You know, right. Sneaking around the edges, um, spotting fish, um, trying to, you know, you've got to formulate a game, a game plan of getting that sounds ahead, of fun. Them, ahead of them without you seeing them. That's where the little yabby soft plastics and creature soft plastics come into play and then plonking it on the bottom um, in, in front of them, a fair way in front of them too, without sort of spooking them and watching them sort of swim up to it and just giving that little jiggles, you know, and getting it to move and watching them come over and suck it up off the bottom. Yeah, it's, it's a really good form of fishing. That's well. cool. It's like two totally opposite styles of opposite styles of fishing. And I guess the stuff in Jindabyne, you're nowhere near catching the same amount of numbers as you are on like a, a really windy day where they're just chewing. But it's a totally different form of fishing, eh? It's pretty cool. Yeah, totally, totally different, but like equally as, as rewarding. Rewarding. Like, um, yeah, yeah, and generally in, in Jindabyne, you've got a slightly better quality of fish. Well, that's just from my experience, and you know, seeing these big you know, four and five pounders cruising the edges, and um, yes, yeah, sneaking up through the boulders and the, and the shrubs and, and stuff like that, and chucking out a little gabby plastic, you know, and uh, and getting them to, to take it off the bottom. Yeah, it's really good. That's awesome. And then when it comes to rivers, um, does the weather impact them at all, um, or do you prefer one over the other? Yeah, uh, the bright, bright sort of sunny days. Generally, uh, the fish will sort of go into hiding a little bit, and you'll if you change tactics, you can still catch them though. You know, um, like you're targeting your, your, your shadowy sort of pockets and, and yep. lines. Like you generally one side of the river is going to have a bit of shade on it, yeah. Um, and, and you're sort of targeting those areas, and you know, like your deeper holes, your, your undercut banks, and stuff like that. Um, it just all depends on how you approach it. Um, there's always going to be fish there. It's, it's uh, if, if you can extract them, and that's just where your, your technique comes into it. Yeah, true. And then um, a few techniques for the stream. If you find a new stream, do you? And this is what I do. I always walk upstream. Do you? Do you do the same thing? Do you walk your way upstream as to not spook the fish because they are quite a spooky fish, especially in those small little creeks and that. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. If I can, yes. Optimally, yeah, yeah, yeah. You always want to be walking that way. But sometimes, you know, I've gone to places where oh, just the access or, or something it hasn't allowed me to do that. So yep. Generally, what I do if I'm downstream is like, yeah, okay, like I'm aware I'm probably going to be spooking some fish, um, generally because they're facing upstream and um, they're going to see me. But uh, I'm, that's when I'm sort of doing a bit of reconnaissance. You know, I'm looking at areas to and moving fairly quickly as well. I have the odd cast and, and just see if I can get a follow. Or sometimes you even catch them um, um, walking walking downstream. But uh, yeah. Formulating game plan for you know I'll, I'll leg it downstream a couple of k's and ah. check it, checking out checking out all these spots and then you know maybe sit down for for lunch or a bite to eat give, give it a little bit of time and then slowly walk my way back yes. targeting targ these these areas that you know I've looked at um, and all seen fish you know and giving them enough time to sort of relax and you know know that I'm gone and then um, yeah because that can be quite a, quite an effective way of of, of um, targeting because you know like say there's a deep hole, you've, you've had a fish come up and, and, and follow a lure uh, and it hasn't been quite the best style of lure for, for that hole on the way back, I'll be like, okay, well I know the fish, is he, he was sitting over there then, he was, he was deep, so I'll change to like a little creature style soft plastic and drift it down deeper and, 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 and try and get him that way yeah, that's a very effective and very clever technique. I never even thought of that because if you walk your way upstream for the day, you're fishing fresh water. But like mm. you just said, you don't as you as you go back down, you're kind of not 
able to have another crack at them. Whereas you walking down and then walking back up, you know sort of where they're going to be and exactly what you just explained. So that's that's yeah. a really good idea. That's um yeah. almost can be better, I guess, to walk downstream and then turn around and come back up by the sounds of it. Sometimes, yeah, and well, depending on the on the time of day you're there as well. You know, generally, because you're getting there early in the morning, which is generally the best time to be fishing for them, you you are kind of missing. To an extent, um, that, that the slightly better time of day, and then you'll be walking back, you know, in the, when the sun's a bit higher. But yep. then, because because you have, you know, um, checked out all these spots and, and sort of formulated a game plan of, of how to fish each spot, then um, yeah, you can still effectively get them. Yeah, nice. And when it comes to casting, do you have any rules, or do you just cast anywhere from anywhere? And then when a trout follows. What's your initial plan of attack? Do you just continue to wind it the full way through, or do you? I know it depends on the lure you've got. What is there something that goes through as a first rule for the you to do to try and get them to bite, or how's the process go? Is yeah, it? Can, can you okay. explain? Yeah. Um, so when I'm, so say I come up on a really nice looking stretch of, of river, nice pool, and instead of like just pinging out a cast as far as I can up the pool. Um, because I'm using braided line, and generally the, the, the rivers are, are quite clear, and you know, a trout are an eyesight feeder, they've got very good eyesight. So I'll start with yep. shorter cast, like, and so I'll see like a, a, a large boulder with a nice shadow sort of behind it that, that's close. I'll be just doing little casts, and then gradually each, each cast are getting longer and longer, just so I don't want to be casting my braided line all the way over, say, fishes in the middle of the pool. I cast yep. to the, the head of it and bring my lure back. It may have seen the line before it's seen the lure and and, and spooked or, or gone off. Um, so generally shorter cast, just working my way longer and longer uh, and, and just trying to, trying to find uh, fish that way. Yeah, right. And then and then if one does follow you, how do you, is, there a, is there a process for pausing and allowing them to look at it or is it all about keeping it going quickly and get them to yeah. just hit it when they're running out of water? See, it varies from fish to fish and, and the mood they're in from my, from my experience anyway because um, I can just be doing like a little slow roll sort of cast, you know, just to keep to keep the lure ticking over, and I'll have a fish follow, and you'll see it follow, 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 and then grab it, you know, yep. without me doing anything. Other times, you now I'll do the same thing, and and they'll follow all the way your feet, and then turn off. But then, um, on the, you'll cast again and get them to follow again, and then you give it a, a pause or a twitch, and that's enough for them to 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 get them to strike. So. It's, it's, it's sort of dependent, really. You know, yeah. like it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's a hard one, though, because you know the, the fish can be in, in different moods, and it just depends on, on what sort of what sort of mood they're in, how aggressive yeah. they are. Yeah, so so what I took away from that is on the first one, you just keep rolling it, keep rolling it, and then if they don't hit it, then then you try something else um, yeah. to see if you can. You just mix it up. You just mix yeah. it up to try and get them to hit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Right. If someone's new to fishing a lake system, they're going to walk the bank. You can be, oh, we'll, we'll just say just general lake tips for walking mm. a lake for trout. Do you have any key tips um, for newbies to it um, that will just help them a lot? Is there any things you can share? Yeah, um, for, for the lake, uh, when it comes to rods and reels, and like the longer the better when it comes to the rods, in, in my preference anyway. Um, just because you can cast your lures a little bit further, and like you don't necessarily have to be casting way out in the middle, you'd be casting edges. But you know, the further you can get your your lure away from yourself, uh, the more chances you've got. Um, and, and just generally keep it keep it simple. Try and keep it simple for the for the newbie anyway. You know, like um, styles of lure that don't require you know a massive amount of um, working or technique. You know, like 
I'm a big fan of, of metal lures like the Spoon and Wobbler type lures, and they're yep. really, really easy one for the newbies. And they, they cast a mile, um, and they're just a great all-around lure, like all seasons, all conditions, especially uh, the windy conditions where using yeah, lighter lures might become a bit problematic um, for a newbie. Anything with a little bit more weight, you know, say six, seven grams, um, they just, they just cast, especially for kids as well, they, just, they, they cast really well. And all you got to do is cast, let them sink to your desired depth, um, and then just slow roll them in. And, and that's enough, usually, to, to get the fish to, to strike. And, you know, things like your little Tassie Devils, um, if, if the conditions are right for it, um, just your little hard body lures, anything that just requires, just, you can just cast it out and just and slow, slow roll it in. Because generally, most of the time, um, that's all you need to do. You don't need to be imparting a great deal of action. Um, to the lures, like from my experience, um, if you want to, um, you definitely you definitely can, and and sometimes that can induce a strike where there's a slow roll won't. But uh, uh, even for the newbies, you know, just a, a slow roll in, you'll be seeing fish, you know, following your lures and, and stuff like that. So you've got the whole visual side of things, and just a little bit of experimenting when you when you're out there. And, you know, if one lure doesn't work, change to another one. And, you might get them, yeah, so, yeah. yeah that, I, I, that's exactly what I wanted you to touch on was the fact of a long rod and and wobblers or spoons because I know mm. that's that's just a really handy start for someone getting into it. So, what length rod uh, would you recommend for someone who's saying I want to go do a bit of trout fishing? Um, I want to do both river and lake, and then if someone said, "Hey, I'm doing trout fishing. I just want one rod for casting off the bank in the lake." What would you do yeah. for someone who wants a universal setup lengthwise and someone who wants just a dedicated late casting rod? Well, a lot of the rods these days and most of the brands and manufacturers, you're sort of not really getting much over 7 foot 6, but I like the 7 foot 6 range. I think that's probably the one of the better all-rounders um, for your rivers and, and, and lakes. Uh, unless the river's like really overgrown, um, where something that long might become a bit sort of problematic. Generally speaking, seven foot six um, rod is, is, is a good all rounder. Uh, for the lakes, well, I'm using, yeah, this isn't the norm, but I'm using a, a custom made, it's nine foot six, <laughs> two, <laughs> two, two to four kilo fin rod. So, like, I'm, I'm getting my lures a long, long, long way with that thing. But uh, there, there, there are a few other um, rod lengths out there. They're not overly common, but yeah, you can sort of get um, eight foot to, you know, sort of eight foot six. Um, they do they do feel a little bit different to someone who's just been used to using, you know, say, a six foot ten or a, a seven foot rod. Um, but it, it doesn't take too much of an adjustment to um, to get used to some, something around the you know, sort of eight foot mark, you know, yeah. if, if you can find them. But yeah, seven foot six basically is a, is, a, is a really good all rounder, two to four kilo. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like you said, if someone's really getting into it and really loving their lake trout fishing, you'd, you'd recommend trying to find yourself or looking for even maybe like you've done yourself a custom rod over mm. eight foot because it just helps with your distance, as you said, doesn't it? Oh, it, it, there's a ton of advantages with it. You know, um, yeah, you, you've got cast distance is, is a major one um, because, yeah, just the way trout fight, they big head shakes, they, they jump, um, there's a lot of shaking around. And so, like a shorter rod sort of generally speaking from my experience anyway you, you lose a few more yep. fish because trout just the masters at spitting hooks um, and, and, the, and the longer rod you've got like it, it just takes up a lot more of that the, the shock of, yep. of the fish fighting uh, so you generally stay connected to a lot more fish um, yeah the longer rods are just uh, I've only been using the, the custom one now for probably two years or something like that but 
Um, when, when I'm like fishing, that's basically all I'm using because it's just so good and the benefits of it are just so far outweigh the, the shorter rods. Yeah, for sure. No, that's cool. Uh, mate, can you tell us, um, just share a few tips for someone visiting you convene for the first time. Is there any particular end or area of the lake that fishes better than the other uh, and what kind of bays or structure are we looking for? And we'll talk bank fishing, so from the bank because that's what you do, um, specific areas that you're looking for. Um, you, you, you go to time of year, what you've already said is winter. Um, so, yeah, just tell us about any end of the lake that fishes well and structure to look for? Uh, from my experience, no, there's no one area that I, I found that is particularly better than another. Um, a lot of Eucabeen is it's fairly similar unless you're sort of moving towards um, the damn wall end where, yep. where you get a lot steeper banks. There's a lot more timber up there. Um, but, you know, like uh, the western side and the northern end, that you got a lot of clay. Uh, a lot of clay banks. Um, generally, when I'm when I'm out there, um, I'm looking for for yabby um, evidence of yabby beds. Um, and usually, say you've got a, an area of like orange clay, you have these darker sort of sometimes dark brown even areas, and they're usually a slightly different consistency yep. of, of clay. And they're, they're harder, aren't they? Yeah, they're generally more conducive of, of the yabby um, of burrowing into them and especially with the water levels dropping like that you can see this honeycomb style like looking um, clay uh, where yep. you can tell the old yabby beds and you see them extending into lakes so I'm looking for those areas and using like little yabby um, either yabby hard bodies or, or soft plastics and hopping them across the bottom or um, you can be very bouldery there's a lot of boulders there's not much unless you're fishing the dam wall area there's not a lot of standing timber Yep. Uh, so they're all fairly open, plain-looking looking bays. Yep. But yeah, even in an area where you've got a cluster of, it could only be like one, two, three sort of boulders, I'm sort of casting in and around them. Um, because, so they're prime? Yeah, because you can you see why, especially when the, the lake's falling, um, uh, you can see where, the, where boulders have been in the water. And there's usually one side that's got this little washout, a little bit of a divot in it. Yep. I think the, the trout, especially on the on the bright sunny days, will just sit down in there. With it. It's, it can only be like a foot sort of deeper than the, the surrounding bottom around it. But you know the, the trout will just sort of sit there and um, uh, wait for you know something to float over, or or just be sitting there waiting for the, the cooler times of day to to get out hunting. So um, yeah, even just one or two boulders in the water, just any sort of structure, because a lot of the bottom is is fairly plain. It's, it's mud or sand. Um, so boulders, lay down logs, anything like that, usually targeting those, those areas for a bit yeah. longer than I am, just the, the open plain of banks. And... Right. So any any of those like honeycomb-looking yabby beds that extend into the water are perfect. And then also, yeah. even if there's one or two little rocks or boulders on an open bank, that'll, that'll yeah. draw in fish. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But it, it, you've got whole areas in places where it's just strewn with boulders, you know, and it just looks really fishy, you know. It's like a boulder field. Sometimes, <laughs> you only, sometimes you've only got the tips of them of poking out, and it's quite shallow. Um, yep. But then if you're, you're punching out a little shallow um, running hard body or like a, my favourite, the spoons and wobblers and that, and then just picking your line, you know, through them, um, quite often you'll get fish climbing over them as, as you're just working through the, the boulders. Yeah, 
That's awesome. Mate. Well, I was up there one day, I think it was two seasons ago, early, early spring. So I think it was still the very end of August. Maybe it was the start of spring. And I was with my old man. We were struggling to get, we caught a couple of fish. Um, we were struggling to get fish. And then late in the day, we went into the back of a windblown bay. It'd just be like fishing from the bank, but in the boat, you can move around and find your banks. And yeah. we found this yabby bed um, running in. So you could see it was exposed because the water was dropping. And we were no joke in, we held the boat out a full cast distance from the bed it was dead set a meter and a half where the boat was the abbey bed was like that shallow running and we were getting jammed by trout like three wines off the abbey bed like they were that close to the edge because it was wave action and it was really pummeling mm. into this bank and we just like we got five fish in about 10 casts like it was insane and we'd struggled all day it's just yeah. they love those spots eh? yeah 100 like you can walk, you know, sometimes I'm walking kilometres of bank and, and sort of struggling. You know, you have the odd fish follow and hit and, and whatever, but then you just find this one area and and you'll cast it and you'll be getting hit and, and you're catching fish left, right and centre. You know, so they're just concentrated. It must be like a, an active yabby bed or something like that um, and, and they'll just concentrate around it and, yeah, it, it can be really good fishing once you, once you find an area like that. Yeah. yeah. But, there are actually areas, like Yukon Bay doesn't have a, a great deal of, of weed beds in it, but you can find them as well, um, especially in springtime um, when you've got the mud eyes and, and stuff like that hatching. Uh, they're, they're really good to, to target as well. Yeah, cool. We'll have to, I'll have to keep an eye out for weed beds. I haven't, I haven't myself come across them, but then again, you've got to have the right spring as well, don't you? You have to have either not mm. right, dropping too quick or rising too quick, yeah. but yeah, weed beds. Yeah, well, nice. like areas like... Um, sort of around Seven Gates and, and Braemar Bay. There's yep. sort of areas where you get some good good weed growth and um, yeah, just slow rolling little creature style sort of hard bodies over the weed beds and trying to imitate the, the mud eyes. Because you can be, doesn't have a huge amount of weed in it like, um, like Gingerbine, but if you can find those areas, um, generally you'll find a concentration of fish as well. Yeah, cool. So talking about weed and Gingerbine, um, can you share a few tips for Gindy? Because it's not... The same at all. It's quite different. How how do you approach and how would you someone fish gingerbine? Yeah, it is. Um, well, gingerbine's got a great mix of everything. You've got you know some shallow bays, but like like I said before, you've got a lot of sort of deeper areas. Um, all dependent on the day. Um, if it's a nice, still sunny day, then I try and polaroid as much as I can. Like I still am blind casting because um, you will get them following um, lures out of the depth and stuff like that. But if you can spot fish. Um, that's probably one of the better ways to, to target them. Um, but uh, well, I'm using slightly deeper running hard bodies when I'm, when I'm in um, Gingerbine. Is it because the bank's uh, deeper or is it because it's yeah, clearer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, both. Um, the water's quite clear there and, and the banks generally are a bit uh, steeper and the water's deeper. Yeah. Um, a, lot, a lot of people don't know this, though, but Gingerbine's got a, a population of goldfish. They're like a... Uh, they're part of the carp family. They're not actually a carp, um, and they, they don't grow anywhere near as big. But they're just this little, little—they're not bright orange like you would see in a, a pet shop or anything like that. But they're a little goldfish, and they're, they're quite prevalent. Um, so yep. I'm using deeper style hard bodies like yeah, your blades and your vibes and stuff like that. They sort of imitate the dead ringer for this little goldfish. Right. And, um, yeah. So the back end of bays and stuff like that. You generally don't see them. They're really hard to spot. But if you're walking around the edges at night time with a torch, especially in some of your weedier bays, you actually you see these, these goldfish. Um, and, yeah, so using your, your blade and, and vibe style lures in, in your deeper areas can be quite an effective way of, of getting 
Yeah, no, but um, and um, soft plastics are really, really effective in in gingerbone as well. Like they're they're highly versatile. We can fish them at any depth, and especially like your your paddle tail, they'll you know um, soft plastics. You know, just working them along the bottom, or you can just cast them out and just slow roll them back like you would a hard body. You know. Yeah, right. And and any banks in particular, like, are you do you prefer those steeper banks, or do you prefer the bays, or it, it all depends. It's it all they all hold fish. Yeah, yeah, all hold fish. Um, I, I like the points, yeah, for whatever reason. Right. The bind, yeah, yep. And rock, rocky points where there's a bit of structure. If you've got a, um, some old timber growth or something like that, um, yeah, anywhere that there's structure, uh, generally can be a little harder to fish um, and you might lose a few lures around them, but that's generally, they generally hold the fish. Back end of bays as well, I've, I've found a ginger bind. Um, you've got a, a few um, like little creeks that flow in Yep. And if you're fishing them around your dawn dust sort of um, period and, and around in nighttime as well, anywhere where there's a bit of water, water trickling in, um, yep. can be quite quite good as well. Yeah. yeah, right. And then what are the fish that you're catching? Are they are they more browns, rainbows? There's brook trout in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, ginderbine's really good for that. You've got, you've got four species in there. You got your browns, your rainbows, your brook trout, and uh, Atlantic salmon. Right. So it's a bit of a mixed fishery that one, and well, like like the, the salmon and the, and the brookies. A lot less common than yep. the brands, brands and rainbows, but uh, if you, if you get one, it makes it all that more more rewarding. Yeah, um, nice. But generally, browns. I, I catch more browns than anything in ginger and usually really good quality. Yeah, right. So, are you catching less fish there that you wouldn't you can be, but they're better quality? Is that how it works? Um, or you can get just as many fish there. Personally, personally, yeah, maybe you know, like maybe if you're a better fisherman, you'd catch more than me. But um, <laughs> oh, uh, I don't say that. Ginger generally is. I've found it um, a little tougher, a little tougher right. to fish. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just because the water's a bit clearer, it, maybe as well, there's a better food chain in there, so the fish are a bit more picky, a bit more fussy, a bit better fed. Um, right. Generally generally speaking, um, the fish in there, especially of late, they're better quality fish. It can be a little little tougher to, 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 to catch them, but you know, it makes it more challenging. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, that's what I've heard. I just wanted to ask you that question because I've heard as well that gingerbread can be slightly tougher, but it, it, it can a lot of it can I reckon you could put it down to that clear water and that food source as you're talking about. Um, so I just wanted to see what it, in your experience uh, it was like. Um, so what I want to talk about, mate, is I want to talk ask you a question about I don't know if you can think of one, but one of your most memorable catches when it comes to trout, do you have a catch that sticks in your head? Um, it might be your PB. Um, it might be something that happened that was interesting that you'd like to share with us. If there is one you can think about, can you tell us the story, how it all unfolded? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> there's, there's plenty that sort of comes oh, to mind. I knew mind. there would be. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of my favourites would have to be... Um, it was a little little stream that will remain nameless. Uh, it's one of my favourite spots. Um, yeah. And it was, I didn't weigh it, but it was a brown trout. Uh, it was just after a little bit of rain, uh, so the, the, the creek or river had, had risen quite substantially, so a bit of discoloured flow. I really like fishing the, the river streams when after a bit of rain, you know, the water's a bit discoloured. Fish usually come on the chews um, um, pretty heavily. And yeah. I was using, like I was, I was talking about before, um, a jig that I'd tied up myself, and it imitated a white moth, like somebody, you know, you see those white moths yep. swimming yep. around the, the edges of rivers and stuff, and especially like your more open sort of paddocky type streams and stuff like that. Um, yep. 
Yeah, and it was a, there was a bit of a, um, a bottleneck or a funnel in the river. Uh, it was quite narrow. Actually, might have only been sort of two meters wide um, in the bottleneck, and it sort of opened up a little bit. And I cast right up the guts of this really narrow stretch of river, and then started hopping this little white um, moth jig that I tied up, and um, got hit on the first cast. And it felt like quite a good one. I was like, Ooh, the fish sitting just at the bottleneck there. So and I cast out again, started hopping it back down the increased flow and uh, next thing I know, bang, he, he smashed it and started thrashing around on the surface and I didn't really, because the water was discoloured, didn't really know how big he was but I could feel a fair bit of weight in the line and then after he stopped his, his thrashing, he just took off downstream and before I knew it, I was, I was chasing him downstream <laughs> oh, no. to, to the point where I was running and he was just stripping line the whole time and I thought, oh jeez, I've got a good one here. Finally got down to a, a bigger pool where he kind of settled down a little bit and um, I got a bit of a look at him and thought, wow, this one's, this one's a big one. And um, yeah, probably maybe 10 minutes of fighting. His branch right to have this sort of dogged kind of back and forth. You know, once you get them close to the bank, they just don't like to give in. And yeah. you know, they're, they're not doing huge runs or anything like that, but they'll sort of come out of the water and tail walk in front of you and thrash around and roll up in the yeah. line and, and all sorts of stuff like that. So, you know, a few sort of white knuckle moments and I had him in the net and yeah when I picked him up and held him I was like oh well, he's probably seven or eight pounds wow I guess you know maybe 65 centimeters nice. he was a big big really well conditioned buck you know like there's that typical like deep brown looking nice red spots big hook jaw on him and yeah that was probably one of my more memorable catches he was when was that uh, it was probably about two years ago yeah yeah, right. So was he a snowy mountain fish? Was he in the snowies? Yeah, 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 yep. 100%. Yeah, yep. 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 Wow. Well done, mate. That's a cracker. Yeah. I love hearing stories. You just I could do podcasts all day on hearing people's stories of fish. Right, yeah. <laughs> but my, my, my PB is sort of a little out of the out of the norm, though. It was a really, really memorable catch, but that was in New Zealand. You know, I was going to guess that. I've seen a New photo Zealand of you with is, a cracker of a fish, and I yeah, guessed it was New Zealand. Chalk and cheese compared to Australia. Like the fish, the trap fish over there is just next level with Epic, absolutely epic. But it was one of those uh, uh, those famous canal fish. Twizel. Twizel canal fish. Uh, and it was a brownie. Caught on another homemade jig. You know, it makes it so much more rewarding when you, you catch a fish on something you've you know, made or tied up yourself. 100%. And, uh, yeah, a little black jig. Um, and he, was, he went 21 pounds. Holy moly, hunt twenty-one pound, and that—that's just the standard size sort of fish. For that's ridiculous. Like, that my, is my ridiculous. Man, he, um, he, he, when he retired, him and mum moved back to um, New Zealand to mum's Kiwi, and they lived there for six or seven years. And he fished that those twice, the um, canal systems extensively, and kept a diary of every single fish he caught. And he caught God knows how many over twenty pound, but he caught close to world record. Like his biggest was nearly forty-two pound. Oh, you're kidding. 42 pound trout. A barrel of a thing. Just monstrous, these things are. He, he actually he did so well. Um, I, I think a lot of that had to do with fishing with things that the fish hadn't, because they're heavily, heavily fished, those canal systems. Yeah. Um, with uh, using something that the fish hadn't seen a lot of, which is his, his hand tied jigs. And um, yeah, just in the, it's actually in the, the latest um, edition of Freshwater Fishing Magazine, Frank Prokop, um, his name is, he did an article. Solely on my on my dad's exploits. In yeah, right. New Zealand catching called the Trout Whisperer, and just documented. He's got um, you know, some of the graphs and, and lists of you know, the amount the amount and size of of the fish he caught. So 
Or if anyone's thinking of having it in New Zealand, then check out that. And That's give cool. you a bit of a, a bit of an idea of you know some some of the fish in there. That yeah, it's it's stupid. <laughs> That's crazy, yeah. eh? That's so yeah. cool. And and it's interesting you say that you're using something that the fish haven't seen before. So do you reckon mm. that they'd be eating those jigs based on that they just look like something alive but something that they haven't been caught on before? Or do you reckon it actually yeah. imitates stuff they feed on? Well, yeah, both. Um, right. Because those, those systems have got, um, I think there's a, a little nave sort of gadget type fish um, mm-hmm. that lives in there. Plus you've got, you know, from what I know, I think the trout can actually spawn in there, um, and so there's, so there's juvenile, uh, tiny little fish in there. So, um, like a little jig, um, this looks like a, a, a tiny little little fish, or it, it, they, they look very sort of creaturey. Yeah, you know, they look like yeah, some sort of nymph or, or something like that. You know, like a bug. Um, yeah. And when you see, especially when you tie with marabou feather, when you see them underwater, they become quite fluid. They're cool, eh? It doesn't look like anything else on the market. Like it doesn't look like a soft plastic. It doesn't look like a hard body. It's very unique, you know. And yeah. Especially in Australia and New Zealand, um, there's just something that's, that's not used very much. Like in the northern hemisphere, you know, they've been massive in Europe and especially America for years and years and years. You know, like they're quite heavily used up there. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, they just either haven't taken off much down here, or, or people just you know, are too lazy or can't be bothered, or don't know how. Um, yeah, don't know how, probably. Didn't know to, to think to about tie, it. Yeah, I didn't even think of it to, to tie them up. And, you know, when, yeah, you look at social media and, and magazines and stuff these days, and, and the the amount of, of lures out there available is just mind-boggling. So, mm. you know, why would you spend time sort of tying something up when you can just go and buy these, these things that look so realistic, especially some of the, the soft plastics these days. Yeah. They're, they're just no, dead, red, dead ringers for the real thing. Yeah, it's very true. But then again, you gotta you gotta step outside the box sometimes to right, you know yeah. get the results. But can I one last question for you? I just thought of it. I know the trout over there are the same as here. They're both brown trout. But why do they get so big? Is it because of the water they're living in, or do you reckon they've actually got their own sort of genetics that for some reason they just get that big? Because like thirty to forty pound trout, that is ridiculous. Like that is <laughs> massive. Like that is yeah. stupidly well, bigger than a ten pound that you might might get out of Yukamine. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, as far as I know, the brown trout in New Zealand all come from brown trout in Tasmania. That's what I thought. So it's the same genetics, but. Probably to do with the just the, the quality of water. Cold water too. And yeah, cold water. And if you've ever been to New Zealand and you see a lot of these bigger rivers, they they just dwarf the Australian rivers in, in terms of size and flow and volume, everything, you know. So like it's just con- everything's conducive when you when you actually look at the water for you know quantity and quality of, of fish over there. It's just next level and the canals itself. I think yeah. they're fed from glacial lakes, so the water's fairly nutrient-rich. Um, they're going through a series of, of um, power station turbines, so it's quite well oxygenated. There's, right. there's a lot of food in there, like there's a lot of weed and stuff growing in them. Um, you've got these, uh, like a, a freshwater snail that's in there that they, they eat a lot of, and then, like I said before, you've got your, your, your small juvenile fish, and yep. um, and anything that blows onto the water, you know, they're trout. They're still eating insects off the surface as well. So. 
Yeah, well, right. So everything combined, everything you've just mentioned there makes sense. The fact that it's you're a more perfect oxygen, storm. <laughs> yeah, of quality of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. grow yeah. monstrous fish. Like, <laughs> and when you're like, you can walk the edges of these canals, and like, you're generally not catching the fish you can see just because they're so clued on to, to what's going on, and they'll see you and just not be interested. But now you walk on the edges, and you see this dark shape that looks like a log, and you walk up on it, and it's just, 20-pound branch yeah. <laughs> oh, sitting, sitting, sitting in, you know, a foot of water on the edge and it would just casually sort of drift off and sort of <laughs> out of oh, sight and wow. be like, holy moly, like, yeah, this thing's the next level. That's insane. That is crazy. Well, and hopefully there's Jade someone up to go to New Zealand whenever we're all allowed to go fishing again. But for everyone listening, I hope you got a little bit out of this, you know, in our time of quarantine. But uh, mm. Brendan, that uh, pretty much pulls us up, mate. I really appreciate uh, the chat. That was awesome. Snowy Mountains Trout. Um, you know, even though we've had the fires, once we're all out of quarantine, we can get back into it. It'll be right in time, hopefully, for the end of, well, let's see how long we're in lockdown for. But mm. hopefully you get to get out this winter. Um, mate, I really appreciate it and I hope you had fun anyway. I did, mate. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. And uh, if I could just add, yeah, when uh, all this is over, if, uh, as many people as we can get into the mountains, uh, you know, like anywhere that sort of suffered from fires and other, other things, just to help, you know, small communities recover and uh, every sort of bit of tourist dollars, you know, really, really help and, and go a long way, you know. So, and, you know, a part of that goes back into the, the fishery here and it's just a, it's a fantastic place to to visit even if you don't fish you know there's, there's mountain biking and hiking and all sorts of stuff to do so yeah it's a great place to come and visit 100 percent, mate 100 percent. and what where can people follow you because you're on facebook and instagram so uh what uh what's your facebook page and your instagram page both same name fishing snowy mountains both of them yeah yeah, cool. So make sure you guys jump on. Uh, if you're on both of those platforms, make sure you follow Brendan at uh, Fishing Snowy Mountains. Uh, he's got some awesome content, mate. You've been building up. Originally, I know you had the Facebook page first and you've just loaded content and stories and so much stuff into that over the last few years. <laughs> I think I remember way yeah. back um, reading some of your stuff, you know, years back and it's just grown from there because you know, Pete, you, you share that much good quality information on the snow mm, mountains. Yeah, it's just all sort of organically evolved, basically. Like people have just taken an interest in it, which um, I feel yeah, eternally sort of grateful and um, flatters me. You know that you know, so many people want to sort of follow. I, I think a lot of people probably would wouldn't read <laughs> a lot of my posts because they are quite long, and you know I get a lot of comments saying oh, I'm not going to read that novel or essay or whatever it is. But you know, if you are keen on reading, and you know, I'd usually try and sort of just detail um, my, my my adventures and just tell a story, basically, you know, like I, I enjoy doing it and you know, it gets people uh, involved in it and uh, the people who do read it um, really appreciate it and say, you know, like, so I even get comments saying, you know, I'm, I'm living vicariously through you, you know, because I love hearing your adventures and yeah. I can't get out, so I love, I love reading them and, you know, and I, I try and take some interesting photography, like I don't have any fence in um, camera equipment, but you know, uh, it takes a bit of a, an eye for photography and a few different camera angles and, and stuff like that, just to try and make it you know, more visually appealing for people as well. And it's, it's not too hard around here, you know, when the place is so picturesque to <laughs> take some good pictures anyway. And, you know, like when I do get fish, um, yeah, I used to try and detail it in such a way that you know, people get something out of it anyway. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I love it. I love seeing all the photos and the different angles, and like you said, it just gives people a different perspective on on fishing. So, mm. mate, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. I really appreciate you having a chat with me today, um, and fingers crossed for the future where we can all get out there and fish again. Yeah, no worries. Thank you again for having me. No worries, Brendan. I'll catch you later, mate. See you, mate. And there you have it, guys. What an incredible episode that was. If you love your trout fishing, you will have gained something from that. And if you don't actually fish for trout that much and you happen to still listen to it, I'm sure you learn a lot. And maybe you're keen now to give it a crack to head up to the snowy mountains and give it a crack. Now, trout are a really, really good sports fish. And I know a lot of people who are dedicated native anglers just don't like trout because they're an introduced species. Uh, but they really are a good addition to the freshwater fish. You know, we've got good variety. Even though we've only got a handful of species, we've got cod, golden perch, trout, bass, redfin. You know, it's not many compared to what options you have in the salt. But we have a very good variety and they're all different styles of fishing. Chasing trout is much is quite a bit different uh, to chasing natives and it's really good fun. They're an aggressive fish, they fight really well and because you're chasing them on light tackle, it's a totally different ball game to fishing for cod or goldens. But yeah, the episode was awesome. Brendan opened up, shared heaps of content. He's a really good bloke to talk to, was really easy chat. And he went right in depth uh, and I love the techniques and those things that are just small things you would never think about like the longer rod that he uses, you know, in the lakes for casting further in his distance and those other reasons for keeping fish hooked up more. And if you're a dedicated trout angler, that's something you might not have thought about before and it might be an option that will help you increase your catch rate. You're going to be able to cast further and you're going to keep those hooks stuck a little bit more often than you would with say a seven foot rod. And there were so many more other cool things in that episode. So I hope you guys enjoyed if you did make sure you let us know send us an email or leave a review and a comment on the podcast app that you listen to this on guys i want to once again thank you for downloading and tuning into the episode we are getting lots and lots of downloads which is really good to see and we've got more and more content coming up as always make sure what i want to mention again make sure you create a free account on the social fishing site check out the free free mini series and submit your listener questions. If you've got a question for us, make sure you submit them and we will answer them for you. We'll do a full episode on the listener questions. And for all of you guys uh, who are listening to this episode now, if you didn't already uh, hear the previous episode, Talos and I answered listener questions. So if you did submit one, make sure you check that out if you happen to miss it. And with everything going on, guys, with the lockdown, um, as it's all you know been a bit crazy lately, there are... 32 other episodes to go listen to so you may have listened to them before go listen to them again or if you haven't listened to all of them you've just heard about this podcast go back through some of those episodes and find ones that you might be interested in you know to give you your fishing fix uh, during this pretty rough time but you know fingers crossed yeah we'll get back out there soon it's really hard at the minute I'm just looking out the window and it's just a beautiful calm 25 degree day absolutely perfect April April is my favorite month to fish and I feel like I'm going to go the whole month and not even cast a line, which is sad, but I'm going to see if I can get out there because you can still fish um, in some areas, might find a private property that I get access to and just go for a flick, but it is hard. I know it is hard, but 
if we all do the right thing, hopefully we can get out there soon. And hopefully for those of us who are dedicated uh, cod fishers and even those who love the trout fishing like Brendan does um, over the winter, one of the best times to fish, hopefully we can all get out back out there come you know the start of June, at the very least the end of June, it'd be really good. Anyway, guys, once again, thank you for listening as always. Uh, and make sure if you guys want to support what we do and you want to learn and become a better angler, make sure you check out and become a social fishing member. You will not regret it one bit. Thanks, guys. That is another episode done and dusted, episode 33. And I will talk to you in the next episode, which will be 34 of the Social Fishing Podcast. <laughs>